Baby, baby, baby sitting blues. We got the baby sitting blues. This is American Idol. Actually, no. It's Throwback Misadventures with Josh and Noel. This week on the podcast, the dishes are done. The 20th anniversary of Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, the beloved 90s black comedy, is finally here. But that's not all. It's two babysitter movies for the price of none, as we fool with the PG-13 hijinks of 1987's quirky comedy, Adventures in Babysitting. We are so excited to share our biggest and best episode yet, as we are joined by a very special guest, Keith Coogan, who appears in both movies as Kenny and Brad, respectively. Join us on an in-depth conversation where Keith shares with us some throwback misadventures of his own, and where we ask the tough questions. Yeah, like, is that wig real? And uh, did you really have to eat those crusty waffles? Join us as we frolic through the delightfully strange worlds of these two memorable childhood classics. We should start by talking about our history with uh, with these two movies. I know when I was younger, I used to watch Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead all the time. And I couldn't believe that the old lady died like right in the beginning. I was shocked. I mean, Kenny killed her. The state of his room killed her. So Kenny's a murderer. So it really is a dark comedy. Oh, right. I think you and I are arguing over dark or black comedy. I've never heard of that term before in my life. <laughs> a black comedy is totally a thing. It's a film, play, or other work that deals with tragic or distressing subject matter in a humorous way. So says Oxford Dictionary. Well, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> That's your lesson for the day, kids. So yeah, this episode I was really, really excited about and has a special place in my heart um, because Keith was just on my TV in my family like throughout my childhood my dad loved his movies we were always watching don't tell mom the babysitter's dead um i did think i watched adventures in babysitting a lot but after josh and i re- did a rewatch i realized that i was thinking of gremlins so but yeah and even like his other movies which we'll talk about a little later like spooner and toy soldiers and my dad just loved his characters and i wish i could tell him that it was well actually that's a spoiler that it was a wig but <laughs> we'll talk about that later <laughs> Adventures in Babysitting, though, um, I had seen also a while back, like a long time ago when, when I was a kid, probably on VHS. I'm, I definitely watched it quite a few times. And um, it's very, like, adult. There's a lot of cursing in it. And it, it, it it's very shocking when you think that you're in, in store for, like, a children's movie and then there's a Playboy magazine and a bunch of fucks. <laughs> I'm a fan of fucks, but I definitely was not prepared. I definitely thought that this was a children's movie because, I mean, Disney remade it as a decom. So, yeah, I was definitely shook. Do the kids still say shook? I'm not sure, but I enjoyed it. I don't know if the kids still say shook, but I certainly do. And I would say that I was shook. So that works for me. And also, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead is epic because we're no longer using iconic um, because it's so quotable. I mean, how many people can just throw in, I'm right on top of that rose, or the butt crack of dawn into their daily conversations? Because I know I do. I say butt crack of dawn whenever I have to emerge at an ungodly hour. Yeah, and it turns out the ungodly hour that you emerge is usually the ungodly hour that I go to sleep. So This is why our relationship is suffering and why this episode will probably <laughs> turn into uh, marriage therapy, couples therapy. What's that show? <laughs> so we should probably start off with a with a brief little plot summary of, of each of these movies, just in case you're not familiar with either Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's yeah. Dead or Adventures in Babysitting. So um, Chris and the three kids she's babysitting must trek to Chicago to rescue her frantic friend Brenda from an uncertain fate as she's trapped in the bustling city of Chicago. Along the way, they have an extravagant song and dance number get held up by knife point in the subway, encounter real-life Thor who's surprisingly hot. We'll get to that, maybe. And dangle helplessly off the side of a building. What could go wrong? It's 1987's Adventures in Babysitting. And don't tell mom babysitter's dead if you are a heathen who has not seen it. When their single mom goes away for the summer, Sue Ellen and her five siblings are left in the care of the elderly Mrs. Sturrock, who is approximately 200 years old. She turns out to be a deranged Mary Poppins who makes them wear name tags. But when she unexpectedly dies, Sue Ellen must take over. She poses as an experienced businesswoman who easily gets a job as a receptionist due to her impressive resume. The money goes faster than Suella is making it as her lie and her siblings' nerves spiral out of control. And there's waffles. (laughs) (laughs) 
yeah, there's there's a lot of waffles and none of them look good. Well, maybe maybe the last one, but even that kind of looked like I was like, mm. well, on that note, why don't we take it over to Keith for our exclusive interview with Keith Coogan? Well, good morning, guys. Hi. Thanks for having me. We, we're both excited. We watched uh, both babysitter movies in preparation. <laughs> I love to hear that. Thank you. You've definitely had an illustrious and varied career with some of your more well-known roles being Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead and, of course, Adventures in Babysitting, which we will talk about later. But what some people may not know, and I'm ashamed to say I was one of those people until very recently, is that you were also the voice of young Todd in the Disney animated classic film The Fox and the Hound. That's amazing. (laughs) Yes, and uh, the Hound was, uh, the young Hound was, of course, Corey Feldman. We will always be friends forever, won't we? You know, doing a voiceover, you don't really get to meet Pearl Bailey or Jack Albertson or uh, your, your co-stars, um, uh, Mickey Rooney, uh, Kurt Russell. But, uh, you know, you do know you're working on a Disney movie. I had never done voiceover before and had never done any after. It's so funny. I'll do a panel because of the one voice role and people will ask. So as a well-known voice actor, and I'm like, no, 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 just, just the one, just the one job. But it happened to be a Disney movie that had the last of the nine old wise men that had worked on Snow White, Pinocchio. They were handing it off to the new kids, the uh, Don Bluths, John Lasseter's, Brad Bird's. Um, So it really had everybody involved in animation. Um, Don Bluth left production halfway through, taking uh, half of the animators from Disney. And Disney had to uh, rehire, train, and... uh, or hire, train new animators. And so it took three years to make Fox and the Hound. It was their largest animated film budget at $10 million. But uh, it also made, at the time, uh, their highest box office for an animated film. So it all worked out. So you could say that you you essentially saved Disney, honestly. <laughs> now, what happened was, what had happened was, is they had some lower rated of the classic Disney films, I'd say Robin Hood, Fox and the Hound, Black Cauldron, Rescuers Down Under, kind of fall in a, yes, they're Disney movies, but are they really Pinocchio-worthy? So, you know, there's a love kind of hate relationship with those. It seems to cut off after Fox and the Hound. That's the last one included on the, uh, the clamshell Black Diamond list. So Fox and the Hound is the last classically animated uh, Disney film. And then you have like Black Cauldron and something, something, Mermaid, Lion King. So the Renaissance was just two or three years away. I I just love it's kind of in that middle ground. I did audition for Aladdin. I auditioned for Lion King. Um, Yeah. And a friend of mine, Christopher Daniel Barnes, got uh, Prince Eric in uh, Little Mermaid. Oh. Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was fun going up for Hunchback of Notre Dame, and, and you're like, who else are they seeing? And they're like, oh, uh, Tony winning uh, uh, actor Tom Hulse. And I'm like, oh, great. Amadeus is going to book this. <laughs> I think Robbie Benson got it. I'm not sure. Uh, no, no, no. Who did get it? It was Tom Hulse, right? Uh, I think Robbie Benson was Beauty and the Beast. Let me look. Okay. You're right. Robbie Benson was Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> and so, yeah, Fox and the Hound, huge honor to be a part of the Disney you know, animated films and also have worked for Disney a couple of times. Uh, did the uh, Tales of the Apple Dumpling Gang series, which was called Gunshy. My first job, actually, uh, I was cut out of uh, the cat from outer space. I was skateboarding as a background extra in a scene that got cut out. <laughs> so I thought I was going to be in Cat from Outer Space and then the movie aired. And I'm like, oh, they cut the whole scene out. Oh, that's showbiz. Um, also did, uh, let's see, Touchstone was, uh, Adventures in Babysitting, Cheetah for Disney, um, Hollywood Pictures, also Disney did In the Army Now, and, um, Spooner, a, uh, Disney Sunday movie of the week, so love Disney, uh-huh. part of the reason I've kept my nose clean, because want to work for Disney for the rest of my life. Oh, that's amazing. And I was going to say, how is that experience joining the Disney family? And you're also celebrating, I think it's the 40th anniversary of the Fox and the Hound. So congratulations for being a part of that. (laughs) Thank you very much. I can't really believe it's the 40th. Uh, It hurts a little. Sneak up on you. Yeah, it hurts a little. little. (laughs) Same with the viewers. They're like, no, it can't be. Um, And I love that it still works. I watched a bit 
a while ago, you know, when the anniversary hit and I'm like, I know a lot of people cry when I can't do it. <laughs> when Mama Tweed uh, drops off the fox at the forest, I tend to really lose it at the very end when they're echoing the, you know, we'll always be friends forever over there, you know, how they're kind of separated now. And then the end title cards and I'm just a baller. Uh, so I watched those parts and they still work. Damn. <laughs> Definitely a good cry. The movie that parents would put on to punish you if you were bad. I will put on, if you don't pick up your room, I will put on Fox and the Hound again. It's definitely true. I definitely blocked it out, I think. I can't rewatch it as an adult. I feel very traumatized, but I loved it. I, absolutely. Heavy yeah. duty. We've got lost, <laughs> orphans, yeah. uh, and, you know, definitely undertones of classism, racism, and segregation, mm-hmm. and prejudice. I was, uh, it's also the original subject material, murder's chief. He gets hit by the train and he dies. Um, I think uh, the uh, neighbor poisons Fox. I mean, it's bad. It gets, and then I love to kind of ship Widow Tweed and uh, the hunter at the very end. She's like taken care of and I'm like, all right, I'll ship them. That's fine. Um, It's a fun little, you know, and it's clearly in two acts. It's kind of like a Tarantino-esque uh, or uh, Stanley Kubrick. You know, you got the first act and then you got the adult uh, second act, which gets a little dark. But it's classic Disney. We kill the mother within the first five minutes. The fox's mother gets murdered. <laughs> Wouldn't it be Disney without a parent death? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> have to. And, you know, I think a lot of this stems from Disney had uh, become a moderate success and had started a studio out here in um, basically Glendale, California. And... Uh, there were studio built homes in the neighborhood and they were maintained by the studio, you know, kind of like company, company uh, homes. And he'd moved his family out and his parents. And um, there was a gas leak in the unit and it killed his mother. Um, And so I think this is why Bambi, you know, other films have this kind of like, oh, Disney's going to kill the mom. Well, it was something that had happened to him. And he felt terribly guilty considering it was a company home. So, yeah, we've traced the, the Freudian um, psycho pop psychoanalysis has traced it back to this incident. Um, speaking of Disney, we actually realized uh, when we were rewatching Adventures in Babysitting that it's heavily edited and censored on Disney Plus, which uh, is pretty rare for a streaming service. Did you know about these edits and... Um, do you think there's a better solution for Disney other than censoring uh, the films they have on their service? Well, if they can find a good way to keep, because Disney Plus is, you know, a kid could pick up the remote and watch Elephants or, you know, Iron Man. And you see how scrubbed the Marvel movies are of blood or eviscerations or entrails or language. They'll even flirt with it. And, you know, Captain America, watch your mouth here we pushed it in 87 with the mpaa we should have gotten an r rating then i actually tell people that i recommend their children watch don't tell mom the babysitter is dead before they go up a little bit to watch adventures in babysitting (laughs) because of the language we say five of the seven words you could never say on television we say them several times they're uh i use uh homophobic language um it is so okay so i understood there's a tv edit and also there's different ratings overseas we have 13 other countries have 14 or 16 etc so i had heard that it had dropped there were other contracts that had been licensed out to other streaming services when disney plus uh, uh, uh premiered so it wasn't available at first in the united states but there were people overseas that said, oh, no, no, eventually the babysitting is on and it's edited. And I went, okay, well, you know, that's there. When it's here, it'll definitely not be edited. I'm very pro, you know, very, you know, against censorship and I'm very pro air it. And I'm realizing I just don't think it's going to make it. I mean, they're going to have to put a separate category like Netflix has like kids Netflix and then, you know, adult right, Netflix. Yeah. Yes. Um, we've got a, we've got a prostitute. We've got you know, <laughs> Sesame Plexer. We've got a Playboy magazine. This isn't going to look good next to Phineas and Ferb. Or, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, um, so it comes out, and you know, people are like, "It's censored." And I look, and it says TV thirteen. And I went, "Well, we're PG thirteen. No TV something." And I and I went, 
ooh, uh, it's uh, it started and it said the content has been modified. So the running time is the same. Visually, it's the same film. What they did was they took the TV edits so and where it's on TV, Thor is a weirdo. Your parents yeah. are gonna die, you know. Um, <laughs> don't fool uh, with the babysitter. Don't, don't fool with the, don't fool with the Lords of Hell. And some of those were recorded as wild lines when we shot it. Some were recorded in a looping stage when we had to do dialogue replacement, and some are recorded by soundalikes because standards have changed and stuff like that. So came on, and I immediately, of course, fast speed search to all the known language incidents, and I'm like, oh god, oh yeah, that's oh yeah, definitely edited, but. It's not cut. The movie isn't cut. It's only dubbed for language. And I'm like, well, you know, this is the reason why Disney Channel original movie made Adventures of Babysitting their 100th um, Disney Channel original movie. The head of programming said, I love Adventures of Babysitting. I can't show it to my eight-year-old daughter. So we wanted the universe to live on and have a greater audience exposed to it. So now I feel parents can go, oh, you like, you kind of like the you know, Sabrina Carpenter eventually baby said, yeah, yeah, mom, it was great. Well, let me watch the original. And I go, mom, I don't want to watch one year old movies. When it, it was made in like 19 something, that's like ancient. Is it in black and white? And they'll put on Adventures in Babysitting, of course, after Elizabeth Shoes things and then he kissed me, the kids are hooked and they hang in there and they're just drooling as they look at the TV and they still feel a little danger. I think the language helped them feel it was a little more dangerous this night on the town, quote unquote. But still, I think the movie is effective. It shows the heart. It shows them growing up. It doesn't take away from the movie that the language has been stripped. So I embraced it. And I expected Twitter to, you know, I posted a thing, a screenshot of me pointing to, you know, it's on Disney Plus now. And um, out of, you know, 40, 50 comments, maybe two mentioned, oh, hey, it's edited. But nobody went and said they're going to go burn Netflix down or anything. I mean, uh, Disney Plus down because of it. So... I think, think we're okay. Um, maybe in the future, Disney will acknowledge that they made movies like Blue Steel and Stakeout and Outrageous Fortune. And they will put the Touchstone films unedited. But as of now, the Touchstone films tend to have some language. Can you tell us a bit about your working dynamic with Anthony Rapp? Uh, oh, you I, guys oh, I love Anthony. The working dynamic is I'm a... Oh, go ahead, ask your question, though, first, because I love this question. <laughs> I, I'm glad I got you excited. Um, you guys play off each other so well, and you have great chemistry. Uh, Noel and I were, were dying at the, the faces he was making. So uh, how'd you keep a straight face, and what was it like working with <laughs> Anthony Rapp? <laughs> uh, kept a straight face by, I think, staying in character and staying annoyed by Daryl. Um, this was supposed to be this pretty deep friendship and you know every kind of boy has that best friend and sometimes they're circumstantial they're a neighbor or the kid that sat next to you in you know second grade and so boom you're now said you're now your best friends and so that could have been the situation he kind of annoys him and, he, and he's very violent because i remember we were shooting outside and i hit anthony on the arm for the 900th time in about a week and a half of filming and he goes um could you stop hitting me so hard? And I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry, it's in character. He goes, yeah, well, you have my arm sore. Like, could you like seriously <laughs> stop hitting me? And I went, ooh, that really got to him. So I think I hit him harder next time. I'm not sure. I love getting under the skin of other actors and getting them to kind of get mad at me on screen. Um, he tended to do that to, to Brad, though, which was interesting. Daryl kind of gets under people's skin. He came from a theater background and Broadway. And I grew up doing, you know, Mattel commercials. So it was a different coming at it, uh, approaching the material, building a character. I think we had different ways of doing it, but um, we both were on the same page for the relationship between Brad and Daryl. Thanks for sharing that. I, lo I love uh, Anthony Rapp. Um, obviously, you know, most primarily I knew him from Rent. But uh, I completely had forgotten that he was in this movie until I rewatched it. And I realized that I believe it was his feature debut. Yeah, he had done uh, Far From Far From Home, No Way Home. Something with Drew Barrymore, either just after it or before. I think just after it might have been his second movie. Yeah, I think that was his debut. And uh, mine, mine as well. And uh, I think Lisa had done Link in between Karate Kid and Adventures in Babysitting. 
of course, me and Anthony had to go and rent it immediately because there were rumors her boobs were in it. And we get back to the set and we're like, we saw Link. And she goes, that was a body double. And we're like, damn. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite scenes is the uh, the big musical performance uh, with the, the, the karaoke. Can you tell us about the energy in the room during that karaoke number? And do you have any go-to karaoke songs yourself? Well, you know, it was it was actually not karaoke. I mean, it was in the essence that as actors were lip syncing to, you know, what we recorded on a Sunday. We went in on a Sunday and recorded it with um, Albert Collins and the Icebreakers. And then the very next day, they had a temporary track of what we just recorded the day before. And we shot the Babysitting Blues over two days, a Monday and a Tuesday with three cameras, um, the band, uh, the bad guys. And shot 13,000 feet of film. Most movies when they're released are about 11,000 feet of film. So we shot enough movie to shoot, enough footage to shoot a whole movie. Uh, and, you know, I know Chris, Chris Columbus, the director, said, I, I forget which director he was quoting. He goes, a movie has to have three great scenes and no bad ones. So his three great scenes were going to be Babysitting Blues, the L Train sequence, and I can't remember the, if it was Hospital or um, Frat House or I can't remember what the third scene was, but I remember we maybe had four. And so we knew that this was going to be a magic trick to pull it off. And it was all Lisa in recording it and lip syncing it um, to make it look like just coming off the top of the head. Um, and of course, we had choreography, believe it or not. Uh, Monica Devereaux, who was Chris Columbus's wife, She's the redheaded prostitute down at the river. She was the choreographer uh, for the opening dance sequence with Lisa and for our little shimmy shimmies, um, baby babies during the <laughs> basic <laughs> blues. And she's also the name of the street that you and your bo- girls there are going to be dead meat as soon as we cross Devereaux Street. <laughs> here comes mate. Here comes Jackson. And here comes Devereaux. <laughs> I was really interested to learn that um, Adventures in Babysitting was Chris Columbus's directorial debut. He's kind of like a dark horse director. I feel like he's responsible for so many amazing and classic films that people may not even realize. How is it like working with him? He is a kid that knows the language of film very well and comes from uh, not as much John Hughes. That happened after uh, Adventures in Babysitting with Home Alone. But I'd really connected him to the Spielberg school because he'd written uh, Goonies and Gremlins and young Sherlock Holmes. Um, and so I kind of attached him to that school of filmmaking. So as soon as we're on set, the cranes and the dolly zooms and the kind of Spielberg-esque way of shooting it, I was like in the musical score and everything using uh, some legendary people behind the camera, behind the editing bay, doing the soundtrack uh he was supported by seasoned veterans and by by the third hour he was a seasoned veteran himself because he came in he goes i want to do this and this and the cameraman goes yeah i kind of want to do it this way and i think we should also do this and chris goes cool you got it and then he just left it up to the crew pretty much he had storyboards but he climbed onto the set with us and would ride in the truck or be in the back of the car he'd be willing to walk the beam or whatever it was that he, that we had to do. Chris would do it first. Cause you've got me, I'm working as an adult, but I'm 17. Anthony is just 15. And Maya Bruton is, you know, 10, eight, nine, 10. I forget how old she was, but very tiny. Um, and couldn't work past midnight uh, because the uh, twilight zone trial was going on for uh, John Landis and screen actors guild was very adamant no minor shall work past midnight. So Chris was, oh, and so we did two weeks of rehearsals. And I think this is key in grounding it, kind of fine tuning the plot. We had a very different script uh, when we first got the movie to what was on screen. A lot of changes in the third act and stuff. At one point we had a toy box that looked like Sarah's toy box, but it had uh, plutonium in it and gangsters were chasing us across a bridge. Uh, and someone went, hey, Annie, and they ch- the bad guys chased, and went, oh yeah, I've got to rewrite it. 
at one point to get money for the station wagon, we go to Soldier Field and crash the locker rooms and steal the Bears jock straps. And then uh, Daryl tries to sell them at the frat party to get the money. So a lot of things change, kind of. That I, I guess the more ridiculous elements were smoothed out. And then all the interactions with the uh, car thief, with the uh, tow truck driver, the those were rehearsed and rehearsed and ran and improvised and notes taken and lines added, changed, removed. By the time we shot it, these were little mini stage scenes that we'd already, you know, kind of mapped out a beginning, a middle and end for each scene. And we could shoot it in rough circumstances in the you know back being towed by a car, um, turning on your own sound and turning on the slate because they can't fit people in the car and then doing the scene. And because we'd kind of done that rehearsal so much, we also did heavy rehearsal on toy soldiers because there was going to be a lot of technical and guns and explosives. So we wanted to make sure the acting was kind of done. We're not sitting here going, what does my character feel at this moment? Screw it. We already rehearsed this. So Adventures was very well prepared, incredibly prepared, prepared, prepared. We never slipped a day off of schedule and went, did three different cities in three months and uh, shot it January, February, March. And it came out in July, April. Oh, they were on the ball. <laughs> yeah. So four months of post-production and it was out. Oh, that's really fast. Yeah. Editing. I had one more question about adventures and babysitting and then we can move yes. on to uh, the other one. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Disney channel remake of adventures and babysitting? Did you get, get a chance uh, to see uh, it? And what did you think? Yeah. Absolutely loved it. I reached out when I heard it was being made. I'm like, I want to be in it. They're like, we're not, we're doing it in Canada. We're not flying you out. I'm like, damn. And then uh, uh, get through to the head of programming and say, hey, I want to support it because I see online people are talking crap. And he's like, come to the premiere. I'm like, let's go. Uh, they sent cars to the entire original cast of Adventures of Babysitting. And I was the only one that showed up. Um, very strange. So they're like, oh, yeah, a bunch of the cast are going to be there they vaporized i don't know what happened maybe they're busy um so i showed up crashed didn't crash the red carpet but definitely saw my opportunity with the new cast and jump in they're like who's this old man like i was in the original one of them was like oh that's my mom's favorite movie i was just humiliated the entire night but got to have that conversation with the head of programming who said how much he loved the original and wanted it shared so they had cast members from all other 99 of the Disney Channel original movies filling up the uh, theater, huge hit. They handed out DVDs and soundtracks and it premiered that night on uh, on Disney Plus. And um, so it was interesting for a while. If you look up Adventures in Babysitting on Google, the new one would come up. That lasted about six months. And so now the 87 one comes up, but both both come up in searches. Um, you know, they had to redo the blues bar is now a rap battle the bad guys are more caricature they're more um buffoonish rather than scary there is no we'll get to them after the meet what are you gonna run them over get the car there's none of that sinister kind of you're kind of not really scared of them there's at 1.8 kids running around the city instead of our tight group of four so it's hard to really get to know all the kids they tend to come more caricatures than characters those are my only gripes but it's also for a different audience this isn't yeah. for um people coming of age these are for people in single digits for, for kids that you know their wish fulfillment of a night in the town without their parents their wishes are entirely different at eight nine and ten than they are at 15 16 and 17 so it's a different movie i love it wasn't made for me but i support it and i know the parents can safely share it with the four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old. You know, it's adventures in babysitting, not adventure in babysitting. And I think there can be many adventures. There can be ones where a boy babysits. There can be ones where the dad is forced to watch the kids and all heck goes, you know, squirrely. There could be the oldest kid now is in charge. Whoop, that sounds familiar. Like a 1991 film. Don't tell me. Never mind. Oh, fix that. <laughs> It'll be a new series coming to Disney Plus next year. <laughs> yep. Adventures in Babysitting the series, which they tried, starring Jennifer Guthrie, Courtney Peldon, um, Joey Lawrence, and Brian Austin Green. <laughs> and it was, they got held up at a 7 Eleven 
and were chased into the sewers and chased by an alligator. It aired at three o'clock in the morning on a Friday night and nobody ever heard from it again. And it's available on YouTube. <laughs> wow, I didn't even know that it, a series was ever even in talks. Yeah. Or... Look up Adventures of Babysitting TV Pilot and you will see. And what's great is the opening credits. I have to give it to them because um, they're using one of the blues, classic blues songs. And and I was like, oh, interesting opening credits. And then the, the piece itself is is a typical sitcom of the 90s <laughs> or 80, late 80s. Hey, Josh, what's your favorite movie? My favorite movie? Oh. Yep. It's Scream, actually. That's my all-time Ooh, favorite movie. <laughs> interesting choice. Interesting choice. <laughs> We're very different, I think. And what's your favorite movie, Noel? Uh, Jurassic Park. Oh, there we go. There we go. Yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of dinosaurs and Jeff Goldblum, for sure. <laughs> sure, sure. I guess you put them together and you get my favorite movie, Jaws. <laughs> oh, that's, that's a great one. <laughs> that's up there, sure. <laughs> You know, it's a terror. It's a thriller. It's got a bad, you know, horror icon, and uh, it's uh, definitely pop culture. So, you know, kind of a blend. And then probably Princess Bride, Raiders of the Lost Ark, etc. Those et are all great. Yeah, the future is not as high on the list as some of my friends. I'll ask my friends. They go Back to the Future. Number one, I go really okay. I mean, it's great, but I'm gonna probably get completely uh, torn apart on the internet <laughs> for saying that. I actually prefer Back to the Future Part 2 to Back to the Future 1, but I, I, I love them both. The third one is a little lesser tier, but they're both great. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> I'm sorry. Lesser I'm sorry. Tier. <laughs> uh. So you essentially get to play two characters as we see Kenny kind of evolve over the course of the film from Kenny to Kenneth. So where did you draw your inspiration from for his role? Uh, for... Uh... It's, that's interesting because I felt that I didn't, I mean, I had inspiration certainly for the stoner element of Kenny. Um, I'm working with Stephen Herrick, the director, and he had directed Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. So right there we have Bill and Ted as a language I can talk to the director with. And uh, then I also, of course, borrowed from Spicoli from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And also, I grew up in Malibu, um, coincidentally next door to one of the surfers that Sean Penn had used as a study for Spicoli. So I knew this guy that was like the real Spicoli. So a blend of that, a blend of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and, um, and then a lot of help from Stephen Herrick while we were doing it. Uh, more selfish, hunch lower. Uh, just more base, be more animalistic, I think, at times. Um, it was super fun, super fun to play Kenny. I love the role because of the redemptive arc and him changing and growing by the end. And that was the part, the, the writer's point of the movie was every other movie that had the parents leave town, everything just falls to hell. And um, the kids get in big trouble. And one of them, they even shot him into space, space camp. So, um, in this one, they go, what if the parents leave town and the kids get their act together? And so each character kind of grows up a bit. So for Kenny, finding something he loved, finding a direction and finding, you know, a value in school and education and, you know, I got to do something. Um, I love that. And I'm like, if that message is the message that gets out to people of like, no matter what, you can turn around and, you know, and move on. Um, and so Kenneth was very hard to do because I, <laughs> part of Kenny was putting the wig on and looking in the mirror, and as soon as I looked in the mirror, yeah, dude, Kenny just kind of came out, you know what I mean? But without the wig, I'd go, where is he? I couldn't find him. He was gone. I was like, how do I keep some of the voice affectation and the mannerisms, but without the hair? I was, I felt like Samson and his locks had been cut. So that was a challenge. Uh, I just love the little button he gets sitting over the pool, you know, talking to uh his buddy and um it's a nice little moment it's nice to play a supporting character that you get a whole kind of arc for yeah i was actually gonna ask a question about uh whether or not that was a wig because i was very i wasn't 100 percent sure but me and Noel were kind of going <laughs> back and forth as to whether that was a wig we couldn't tell so i guess that's a that's a good thing <laughs> yeah it was uh pricey uh they made two 
$3,000 a piece um, handmade wigs. So six grand into the wig budget. Plus extra time. I had to come in earlier than Christina Applegate to get the wig applied. Um, and it's so good. They shaved my hairline about a quarter inch so that they could make the wig be at where my hairline is for real. And um, if you zoom, the lace disappears when you put the adhesive on it. Like it just disappears into the skin. And there are close-ups where if you look close, it looks like it is growing out of my head. It is like some of the best special effects makeup I've seen. And for this throwaway gag, really. Then they do, and so many people have assumed. And they go, did you cut your hair? Like, how, how long did it take to grow out? And I'm like, nah, we had an A and B wig. We had one that was perfect. And that was the main hero wig. But every three or four days, it would have to get cleaned. Because every time you remove it and put it back on, it would get kind of gunky. And then we'd use the B wig, the backup wig. And that one didn't fit as well in crinkles around my forehead. And there is a shot or two where you look and you can see a little bit of a crinkle where the wig lace is kind of pulling at me. Um, and I think the overall shape was a little different. It just was too fresh. Um, the wigs were kept by Warner Brothers Archive. And I went to go promote the film a year later when it came out. And I'm at AM Los Angeles and the makeup artist is sitting there and there's the wig sitting on a stand. They're like, yeah, we're going to put it on you for the spot. Um, and I just couldn't believe they'd held onto it. It's probably been chopped up, dyed, <laughs> repurposed or something. But uh, yeah, I had a, a definitely a big relationship with the wig. I love that a big part of Kenny's character is he's kind of on his way to becoming the next Julia Child. How are your culinary skills in real life? Do you have any like go-to recipes? I Fantastic. Not immediately after the film, but from the inspiration that anyone can cook um, and the internet's Julia Child doesn't hurt. Uh, you can cook. Uh, you know, it starts with a pepper steak and then, you, you know, bake a damn potato, uh, fry some eggs. And, you know, make your mac and cheese. But then to make like beautiful, you know, spaghetti with mushrooms and fresh and asparagus and then move into filet mignon and lobster. And I cook lasagna, ribs, I'm a master at uh, ribs. Um, so now I cook really good, hearty comfort food. Definitely comfort food cooker. <laughs> Sounds very good. It sounds actually better than uh, what you guys were eating in the movie, which was the uh, then those gross um, extra crispy waffles. Uh, were you forced? <laughs> were you forced to eat a lot of those on camera? <laughs> now uh, I think uh, more, the other actors had the taste of my friends' buddies had to take bites of dried, burnt, cooked the night before waffle. Because our department just stayed up all night making like undercooked ones, overcooked ones, half burnt ones. Um, and then they get better. By the end, they're like beautiful golden brown and perfect. Um, and uh, uh, on the side note, it was all real food in the movie. The clown dog was McDonald's, basically rewrapped in the clown dog wrappers. And um, we'd leave it hanging around in the kitchen. They like to throw it in the kitchen, just trash, just throw pizza slice, throw it in the kitchen. And we're shooting in order. We're kind of shooting in sequence. So right before we go to clean up our act, before the third act break there's a scene or two in the kitchen and it stinks it's bad it's smell and it's hot we're in valencia 110 degrees outside can't run the air conditioning during takes so on a long take in the wig the leather jacket the kitchen reeks like just trash um yeah that was that was some method acting right there oh those scenes gave me anxiety like the Ugh. kitchen scenes, oh, the counter. <laughs> they were nasty, nasty. I'm so glad when it cleaned up. And um, yeah, the people that rented us the house for the movie, they went on a trip and we <laughs> took their beautiful house and destroyed it. They put this aging stuff on the paint outside and mucked up everything and just trashed the inside, newspapers on the stairs and garbage everywhere. And then, you know, we take a break one weekend, come back and the place is cleaned up. It's pretty amazing. Well, it sounds like you guys had these fantastic experiences together. How was that experience kind of working with the cast? Oh, uh, real siblings, I think. Um, you know, me and Christina is the older siblings. You know, at first I want to have nothing to do with the family. You guys are on your own. Um, she took a more motherly role and spent a lot of time with um, Christopher and Danielle and um, uh, Robert. 
Pi Gorman uh, and went to the school and like would play video games with them and hang out with them. And I just completely ignored them and go take naps. Um, hey, what's up, Ron? Hey, get out of here. I just love the Chuck E. Cheese scene. It just shows the disdain he has for his siblings. So and I'm a semi-method actor and that if, you know, I'm supposed to have a great relationship with someone, I will make pains to have a great relationship with them off camera. And if it's antagonistic, then it's on. Let's do it. I worked with um, the principal from Breakfast Club, and he was exactly the same kind of jerk off camera that he was on camera. And I think it helped. It helped me hate him. And on camera, it was in the Spooner, the Robert Urich, a movie of the week I did. Every time I look at him, I'm like, oh, God, I hate that guy. And um, so I like to bring a little method into it. So I just ignored the heck out of the kids. And then later, as I start to spend time with them, I would spend more time with the kids. And uh, I just love how they're all game at the end to play their roles. Um, Hi, boss lady. Would you like a stuffed Creole mushroom? <laughs> the kid, you know, and the kids are all on point because they're all not just kids. They're not just casting kids because they're little droolers. They're casting kids because they are talented actors that you know how to turn a comic beat how to set something up and how to, you know a rhythm the timing of comedy and how to play it seriously they do not let off if they know that this stuff is funny well let's hack her head off you know we got to get the tape measure see if she'll fit in the trunk i mean we're dead serious when we're doing it and that's i think the thing about dark comedy works so as far as me and the rest of the kids ultimate respect for all of them especially christina she's you know clearly the cheer the head head cheerleader on this boat and um, she led by example, just always be prepared, always be present and just imagine sitting down in the theater during the summer and watching this with your soda and your popcorn, have fun, let it rip. Um, there was, I mean, it was hard to make, not a huge budget, um, sweaty, hot, lots of locations before we got to this house. Once we were in the house, we settled in for a good month and a half. It was a big surprise when Warner Brothers puts it up on their big billboard outside of the studio and plays the trailer to death. And um, I got real lucky because the dishes are done, man, is in the trailer. So people that didn't even see the movie saw the line. And uh, I do sell dishes available at my website, KeithCooganOnline.com. Do you really? <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. The autograph oh dish, dishes are done, man. <laughs> autograph. <laughs> Kenny. Mailed out to you. I got a couple to put in the mail today. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm looking a this friend up. friend of mine, my first autograph convention, and he walks up like hiding drugs and he shows this little blue side plate. And he goes, could you think you could sign this? Is that okay? And I'm like, I could sign anything. And he goes, you should keep these at your table and like sign a bunch. And I was like, that's a great idea. I've sold dishes at every single autograph convention I've ever been at. I was going to ask, like, do you have any um, plans to do conventions or once things get back to normal? Is that something you'd yep, be interested uh, we got in? Three lined up. We've got Mahoning Drive-In August uh, 12th, 13th. It'll be an Adventures of Babysitting and Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead double feature two nights. We have got uh, September will be the New Jersey Horror Con and Film Festival in Atlantic City. And also the Hollywood show in Los Angeles, California. I think it'll be in Burbank this year. Uh, so three lined up for the next two months. Josh, that horror con sounds like it's right up your alley. We're going to have to go. They have yeah, great guests. Great guests, great merchants, great premieres. Um, you need filmmakers, all that stuff. Highly recommended. Good people behind it. Um, next to Monster Palooza, I just love. Uh, New Jersey Horror Con and Film Festival. One more question about uh, Don't Tell Mom. So uh, what was your favorite outfit in this film? The fashion was just uh, so much fun to watch in every every scene. And like those giant earrings that uh, Christina, she has like a different giant earring in every scene. I was, I was loving it. <sighs> so I want to say my delving into metal happened congruently or maybe post Don't Tell Mom because I always kind of take a little bit of the character with me. So... I didn't know what I was wearing on my shirt half the time. I didn't care. Wardrobe puts it out for you. What I do know is that later people are like, that's good. That's cool. You got Metallica. You got this on, whatever. I like Skid Row shirt. What, I don't know. Whatever shirts I had, people were all about it. They were like, good. And also that my room pretty much killed the babysitter. She walks in, takes one look at it, and has a heart yeah. attack. Um, 
the I don't remember the I know the leather jacket was exceptionally hot with the wig up where we were filming during the summer. It's not fun to walk around the leather jacket all the time, but big part of the character. The biggest part, though, <laughs> and these I've already auctioned them off on eBay. Uh, the jeans he wears. They had several, um, mostly completely rotten and broken down, knees torn out, crotch half falling out, uh, my ass and the pocket of the back pockets like hanging through where it slit. You can see I'm pretty good when I'm walking up the stairs. I'm wearing a particularly degraded version when I'm shooting the dishes off the roof. Those went uh, for more than Russell Crowe's breastplate from Gladiator on eBay. And uh, friends suggested cut them into one-inch squares and auction a bunch of them off. And I said, I think a fan would rather have the entire pair than a bunch of fans having a little square. So there is a proud owner of Kenny's jeans uh, here in California. I was just going to say, is it true that the original title was The Real World and they had to kind of change it at the last minute? Yes. And it was focused on Secret of My Success, Working Girl, um, story of the office it was probably three quarters of it was the office stuff and a little bit at home and um we started shooting and immediately the studio notes were more family balance it out let's do like 50 50 family story in office so they trimmed a little bit of the office before even shooting stuff we just kind of trimmed or reworked information into other scenes and then kind of padded up the kids stuff a bit um and we showed bits of everything we shot nothing was left on the editing floor we shortened some scenes and contrary to what IMDb says, I do not know of a single moment of filming that was delayed because of a rumor of Christopher Pettit's drug use. He may have, but I think he would do that in the morning, go surfing and then come to set and he'd be fine. I never saw a problem with Chris. So those rumors are terrible and they really should be taken down. Um, unless if you can show me a production report, because it's the only thing that matters. Anytime you waste a minute on set, five minutes, 10 minutes, it goes into a production report. Delayed. Actor had a costume problem. Delayed. Rain. Accident. Something. So if someone can show me a production report that says Chris Repetit delayed a minute of production, fine. Let that stand on IMDb. But for now, I would ask that IMDb take that down because he's passed. He has no way to defend himself. And um, I don't like seeing that rumor up there because I was on the set every day and I just never saw that happen. Thank you so much for sharing that with us and kind of setting the record straight about that. I'm happy you can get that out there. Yeah. But on that vein, how does it feel to kind of be a part of multiple films in this instance that still resonate so much with fans like decades later? Incredibly lucky. Um, uh, Curtis Armstrong, uh, Booger, of course, uh, was at a book signing and someone asked, um, what does it take to be a successful actor? And he said, uh, luck but there's two levels of luck and he's like please uh explain and he goes well there's one layer of luck where you get a job you get cast in a movie you get to go make a movie you get to meet great people and work with them and make a movie the other level of luck is are people talking about it 30 years from now do people love it do they own it at home are there fan clubs he goes that you know for him revenge of the nerds was something that of course you've got Risky Business. Of course, you've got other films that he did, but and um, really, Revenge of the Nerds is what people remember him for. My name is Booger, I think. It's his biography. Call me Booger. Um, and you have to embrace that. You can't say, oh, no, I won't sign that poster, or I don't like that role anymore. Or you That's what got you where you are. You embrace it. You double down on it. You do YouTube videos on it. You have fun with it. You've got to own it, I think. So both the real world, when they changed the title on us, kind of got us because we were seriously making a serious coming of age movie a dark comedy and when they halfway through filming said mtv has this reality show coming out called the real world we don't want to confuse consumers so we pulled 12 year old boys and the new name of your movie is don't tell mom the babysitter's dead we died we go you're kidding that's a joke right that's not gonna work Apparently, it was the only thing the dang thing could be called. Um, I love that it exists. I love that people tell me that they are friends with people because 
first day on the job at an office and they hear from across the room, I'm right on top of that rose. And they're like, who is that? I need to find out who that person is, become friends with them right now. People tell me that they say the dishes are done, man, after they do their taxes, wash their car, drop their kids off at school or actually do the dishes. I get pictures in my DMs of a rack of clean dishes. And they're like, dishes are done, man. Are the dishes done? Will the dishes ever be done? I'm like, God, I hope not, because that I love. I'm totally I make dish towels, T-shirts, whatever. I I, I absolutely love it. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny to, to really talk about Don't Tell Mom and how impactful to a certain generation it is. You know, I got to work with a lot of great actors. I think Lloyd Bridges, Sean Young, uh, Norman Alejandro, Ted Danson um, and uh, Joanna Cassidy. Joanna Cassidy, who is, you know, not only Dolores in Roger Rabbit, but she's Zora in, in Blade Runner, for Christ's sakes. And she says the quote that everyone comes up to me on is, I'm right on top of that, Rose. Thousands of people have done it. She goes several times a day, way above all the other movies. So that she had surprised her. It really did. And there's something about the way she did it. She's, she's vulnerable in it. She's great in it. She's a great boss lady. Did you know, and this blew me away, we had a screening for Don't Tell Mom. And it's the Ar Ar Army Arm and Hammer building in Westwood. I'm like, what is this? They go, it's the UCLA Film Archive. They've included Don't Tell Mom, the babysitter's dead in a feminism on film that also includes working girl and normal Ray. <laughs> I said, you're kidding me. They go, no, it's getting awarded recognition for pushing feminism and i go it's oh my god okay. it's you've got to be they go no so we went and with the writers we did a q a at at the at the arm and hammer theater i was i was blown away and they just like red carpet treatment for this so i don't know its intentions were pure but it's also a fun silly movie i love her i wish she was my boss Rose Lindsay's been promoted to the president of GAW and now um, Sue Ellen is running uh, GAW West, um, G or General Parallel West. Uh, absolutely. Uh, with um, Kathy, her administrative assistant. Um, and uh, Bruce is still head inventory clerk. <laughs> uh, so what's next for you? Uh, what are you working on now? And uh, what would you love to get the chance to do next? Oh, uh, I... Uh, editing something right now i uh, got the appearances coming up auditioning uh like crazy which is really fun it's changed a bit since the days of going into a um, casting office and auditioning everything's on tape you film it you send it in and you pray and good good great projects very excited about the stuff i'm up for and uh did a web series in during pandemic I did a web series, uh, The Quarantine Bunch, which is about a former child star secret society that holds Zoom support group meetings. And you can kind of crash these. Um, it's a bizarre comedy. We've got uh, Wrong Reasons, which is a feature I made uh, where I play a douchebag uh, news anchor. Um, and then, oh, uh, On Our Own, which is a series I went to Jersey and shot. And I play a lawyer, a divorce attorney in that. And I am trying to close in on a horror film right now that shoots in Utah, but uh, clock is ticking. So I'm hoping I'd hear on something on that. So, so yeah, every day I never know what I'm going to be doing next week or next month. And it's always kind of the fun of being an actor. <laughs> and I also look forward to Sony opening back up. Uh, a few years ago, I'd found my dream side hustle, my dream job, which is a tour guide. At Sony Studios, formerly MGM Studios, which is where my grandfather had a contract um, under Louis B. Mayer. And so I get to show old stages that I have worked on, my grandfather's worked on, of course, tell the history of the lot and what's currently shooting. Best way to spend your day as an out-of-work actor or are looking for, always looking for work actor. I don't know what to say. People say, oh, you had a great career. I'm like, I hopefully I still have one. Still working on it. Um, and... It, it, I just constantly trying at it. One of the quotes in a bio was Keith Coogan still acts with pleasing regularity. I'm like, I'll take that. Okay. <laughs> I would like it to be more high profile stuff. I still enjoy doing it no matter what the budget level. But sometimes it's always tough when people go, oh, do you still act? I'm like, oh, I wish, you know, a couple of things were on, you know, broadcast TV or bigger movies. So that, that question, but then people ask me, so does Elizabeth Shue still act? I'm like, she was on 
CSI for six years. Never mind. I can't talk to this person. <laughs> I know. Yeah, so use, use IMDb. Look at rap do anything <laughs> like he's he's West Coast. He's on SAG committee now, and never mind. I'm not talking to you anymore. <laughs> so I don't take it personally. There's two ways people can ask it. Oh, do you still act? And oh, do you still act? It's it's you can quickly kind of figure out where someone's coming from on the question. That a child star support group uh well, sounded really interesting actually that sounded really interesting <laughs> well it's based off of a true thing there is a group on facebook it is a ex-child actor secret society um broadway commercials theater movies tv uh if you made a living as a child working in the performance art performing arts we have a sport group and we'll talk and hey help each other out listen to war stories or pat each other on the back or you know comfort each other in times of need and we would have real parties real world let's go over to jenny piccolo's house and party it up and hey what's up catch up work on projects together and the pandemic hit and we couldn't have our parties so i had a big 50th birthday party and a bunch of former child star friends were there plus a former junior high school friend of mine who's producer and we we were like we got to do something with everybody involved it's got to be over zoom everything kind of clicked. We'll like, well, let's do our meetings, but do them over zoom. They're anti-comedy. They kind of, I don't know if you saw too many cooks, the promo for um, comedy central. Uh, that was like a 23 minute opening credit sequence that got darker and darker as it went. But if you do give quarantine bunch a shot, episodes four five and six are very different than episodes one, two and three. It's a glad gradual slow bleed into insanity, I think. And I love it. So that is also at thequarantinebunch.com and also just go to YouTube and uh, look up The Quarantine Bunch. Well, I think the dishes may be done, but I don't think your career is. I think there's plenty ah. of opportunities for you. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, and I, if I go to California, I definitely want to do those tours, those studio tours or something I've always wanted to do. So Same. I've never been to California and I've always oh, wanted yeah. to go on those tours. They're so fun. Just sound awesome. Studio tours. They're all different. One's a tram tour. One's a walking tour. You know, one is like, hey, make a movie. Um, with one, they'll put you to work carrying stuff. Uh, the There's also tours where you go to Hollywood Boulevard and buses are like, let's tour the homes of the stars. They're all crap except one. So, because they'll lie. They'll see you know, Lawrence, I mean, they'll be like Jennifer Lawrence this year. And I'm like, that's my friend, Tony Lawrence, no relation. Um, they will lie. And if someone at one point leased the place for two months, they will say that's their house. So, but the one thing you can guarantee, and it's a very good tour is the Graveline tour. This goes and looks at every suicide, death, murder, slaughter, tragedy in Hollywood. What's great is we know these are the addresses because there's a police report so that is the best tour in hollywood especially if you like scandal the graveline tours graveyard tours <laughs> um well this isn't really a question but i just kind of wanted to say like re-watching your movies kind of reminded me how much my dad loved them and he was always quoting them and watching them and he Aww. also really loved spooner and toy soldiers um because the technology wasn't really there at the time these movies weren't readily available so me and my brother hunted for a copy of Spooner for like years to surprise him. And I finally got someone on the internet at the time to send me like a recorded VHS copy. And he was so happy. So, <laughs> so just thank you. I had been dropping Spooner thinking nobody's heard of it. And you had gotten a VHS copy for your dad. That's crazy. Yeah. That's I, crazy. I, I didn't want to interrupt and be like, Oh, I want to talk I about this. <laughs> no, that's the sweetest thing ever. I love it. Was your dad a forger? Just kidding. <laughs> In it, Robert Urich is a convict that got out of prison for forging, and he forges his way into a job as a wrestling coach at a school. And um, so that's why I asked. But I love that he loved that. That's amazing. Yeah, he. They kind of looked like twins, so it was like this weird, oh, like family joke. They look exactly like. Dad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's so great. He was talk about smooth and cool, and suave, and no difference from his energy on screen and off bob urich is bob urich it's, i mean yeah it's amazing Aww. he was he was a legend definitely wow that's amazing go oh, in toy soldiers go yeah. out and get your new copy uh there's a blu-ray out it is toy soldiers and december it's basically a will we double feature uh and it is a new uh blu-ray just released last month oh 
I'll have to get that. I've never there seen Toy Soldiers actually, but uh, it oh. I, I, I when we were looking through, you know, we looked through your filmography a little bit, and when I saw that, I, there, I mean, there's a lot of people in it, and I was like, I've never, I've never seen this, but it seems interesting. And same with Spooner, mm-hmm. I haven't seen that, but I will definitely check it out. Toy Soldiers is a hoot. I, I think you'll love it. It is a hard R 90s action movie. So I just have one final little thing to say from a fan who wanted me to make sure to tell tell you that she loves you and she thinks your eyes are dreamy. So that's from <laughs> Sheila. I'm going to call her out and tell you. That's my wife. Is that my, yeah. my wife? My wife is like, your eyes are dreamy. Well, yeah. thank you, Sheila. Appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks so much for uh, taking the time to chat with us. Really appreciate it. And um, yeah, it was, it was fun. You guys are awesome. Thank you. Great questions. Really appreciate it. And uh, thanks for uh, letting me talk about the new stuff too. And uh, uh, you guys are awesome. Oh, thank you. I think you're awesome too. (laughs) (laughs) The feeling is mutual. Yes. (laughs) Be be safe out there. Stay safe. Um, And uh, yeah, man, see you on cable. Get rock and roll, and I guess there's only one thing left to say. Dishes are done, man. (laughs) (laughs) We're using that. (laughs) Using it. (laughs) Thank you again so much to Keith Coogan for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please consider following Keith. You can find him on all social media at Keith Coogan. And I know he mentioned this briefly, but if you check out KeithCooganOnline.com, you can actually get your own autographed dishes are done. You can get a dish ornament or an actual dish. And I want one. I'm definitely ordering one. I'm definitely ordering that ornament for sure, because I, I need that on my tree. That's just iconic. <laughs> and I use the word iconic. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah, you can get autographed posters, headshots. I wonder if he's on Cameo. Yeah, I, I'm just really glad we were able to make this happen. And it was such a pleasure speaking with him. Um, I feel like he had a lot of really uh, interesting insights um, into into some things that we had questions about. Did you know you can get a voicemail message from Keith Coogan? Oh, shit. No. <laughs> it's really cute because the picture is Kenny on the phone saying, we're busy. And he like hangs up. <laughs> 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 so go ahead and add that to your cart. Well, do you think it's now time? to rate these two movies with our uh with our usual flair and um decide which one we like the best okay so we know that obviously these two movies are some of our favorites so how would you rate adventures in babysitting how many playboys out of 10 (laughs) well i think that i would give it seven and a half clown dogs or wrong movie (laughs) seven oh fuck it is no I did it. I was <laughs> I was thinking like don't mix these two up and I completely mixed them up. Uh, uh, oh my God, the way you scream no, I can't I can't breathe. <laughs> okay, no, what I was gonna bring up was Thor Thor Hammers. <laughs> That's what I was gonna bring up. And so I think I would give it about seven and a half Thor Hammers. Or like seven and a half like so you could do like half of a Playboy spread for one of them. It's a seven and a half. That's that's my rating. Maybe and, if like present day Anthony Rapp was in the spread, I would consider. <laughs> but would you be getting the bottom or the top of the paper? I didn't know you were going to cut them in half. I mean, geez, I thought it was like half a page. Yeah, it would be half a page. So are you okay with the top half of him or the bottom half of him as the Playboy spread? And they just make the picture smaller and use the. <laughs> this is inappropriate. Make it landscape mode where he's laying down on a couch. There you go. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Apologies in advance. (laughs) How many uh, tastefully done Anthony Rob Playboy spreads would you give it? Oh my god. Um, (laughs) Well, I'm I'm comfortable giving it like a 7 or a 7.5, but because it was so heavily edited, I feel like the edited version is a 7, but, you know, with all the proper fucks, to give i would say 7.5 yeah no that that moment in obviously in the original cut of the film where she says like don't fuck with the babysitter like that hits you because first of all you don't usually hear fuck in children's entertainment i get that this movie was pg-13 but you know a lot of kids saw it because it it was just of that time but uh that moment had some power to it the 80s were wild and when i heard that 
the, the don't fool with the babysitter version it, it it just doesn't have the same power it doesn't have the same effect yeah and even like i just watched the sandlot did i mention that in the interview i think i did but just in case i didn't like they kept all the curses in that movie so i guess some curses are okay i don't know i'm shooting you a glare for watching the sandlot because <laughs> i love that movie what, where were you on the fourth of july you weren't hanging out with me where i think i was working yeah i got time and a half on fourth of july so, on that note, how about Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead? And this one, I would say, right out of Clown Dogs, maybe? Okay. I feel very comfortable giving this 9.5 Clown Dogs. I feel very comfortable because I just enjoy it, and it never stops being good for me. Like, it, there's, it has a high rewatch. Was that a word? Like, rewatchability? <laughs> what word am I thinking of? Um it it's it's definitely that it's it does have a very high rewatch value because it it almost has that quality that like uh some of the Disney Channel original movies we love have like it's just like it it puts kids like you see them trying to go to work and like you know that doesn't usually happen in like a 90s kids movie like you know they give they give children more responsibility than they give the adults the adult presence is not really in the movie as much other than you know, the secretary and, like, the, the office, like, work part of the movie. But it's, there's no, like, parental figures, really, in the movie. Except for the mom in the beginning and the end, which she just drops her kids. And then she just is like, oh, yeah, I'm back. The nostalgia that goes along with it. I'm happy giving it 9.5 clown dogs. So how many burnt crispy waffles are you giving it out of 10? Honestly, I also would say 9.5 out of 10. I, I think this is a, a legitimately great movie. And it's very entertaining and you can watch it, you know, if you want to watch it with your younger kid or your nephew or niece or whoever, like you can, you can watch it. Like it has that family values to it, but it's also a little bit darker obviously there's death in it because the babysitter dies. Literally it's in the title. Surprise. It's in the title. <laughs> On that note, uh, thank you guys so much for joining us uh, this week. I really loved having Keith on as a guest and we look forward to having some special guests in the future. There's a lot of different people that we could choose from. So we love you, Keith. We love you. <laughs> Thank you again to Keith Coogan for joining us. Our conversation was just so much fun that we couldn't fit it all into one episode. So be sure to head over to our website, popcitylife.com for the full transcript and full audio of our entire conversation with Keith. Thanks for listening. Yeah, next time we meet, we expect a complete report on the life of the Yardvok. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Throwback Misadventures. Please consider liking, subscribing, and following us on social media and all of your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Music. You can find us at Pod Misadventure on Twitter and Instagram, Throwback Misadventures on Facebook and YouTube, or keep it throwback and send us an email, podmisadventure at gmail.com. See you real soon.